Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. The career of the filmmaker Werner Herzog is unique. The 60-odd films from the German auteur include both documentaries and features, and while their subject matter is varied, they often centre on an audacious quest set in a dreamlike, fantastical setting with a slightly possessed protagonist at its heart. Hmm. Remind you of anyone? But it's not just Herzog's output that is revered. The man himself has become a cultural icon, sparking many a retelling and tall story of his own life and creative perspective. A new documentary, Werner Herzog, Radical Dreamer, paints a portrait of the man behind the camera. The film follows Herzog as he revisits the places that defined his early years and details the journey of his career and collaborators, including the madcap escapades of often hot-headed, sometimes unhinged, occasionally violent cast members. At one point in Radical Dreamer, Herzog laments his inability to fly, what he describes as a great injustice. Though it might seem at first a naive complaint, watching the films of Werner Herzog makes you believe that surely if anyone could possess this power, it would be him. On today's show, then, we're exploring all things Herzogian. We'll be speaking with the director behind that new documentary, Thomas von Steinecker, and we'll catch up with someone who knows the world and ways of Werner Herzog better than most, and has even had a role in creating them. First up, here is my conversation with the writer, novelist and documentary maker Thomas von Steinecker. Thomas, it's wonderful to talk to you to celebrate uh, Werner Herzog, Radical Dreamer, your wonderful new documentary about the, the phenomenal German filmmaker. We start the film and Werner's driving through Los Angeles. And of course, as the titles come up and we see your <laughs> perhaps ironic title, and he's, he, he turns to the camera straight away and says, I don't dream. How easy was Werner Herzog as a subject? You get such a lot of good stuff out of him, but how easy was he to handle in the early days of producing this film, I wonder? The toughest part was to convince him to to participate. That was the toughest part. Once I achieved that, it was rather easy, surprisingly or shockingly easy, to be honest. But, of course, um, we had one Skype talk one year before the the start of the project and it was clear that either i succeed in convincing him in participating or <laughs> he just uh walks away from the project and i would have had a big problem the funny thing is that um pretty much only talked about german poets and rather obscure German poets. And uh, uh, strangely enough, I think that that was what convinced him in the end. Yes, I can understand that. You sort of bonded over a third party or a number of creative third parties, perhaps, rather than you just wanting to stage a kind of very laudatory film about about Werner, I suppose. And exactly, seems... but he, he wasn't even interested in, in my approach to the film. He he just want I think he just wanted to know what kind of, of character I was or if there was substance or honest interest in in his work or in understanding art itself. So it was a rather philosophical conversation. Yeah, nice. Well you seem to have a 
there is an affinity I can tell the way that he he looks to his wife in the film and he also looks to camera and therefore to you a lot in the film as well so I, I can see that there was a a convivial kind of understanding between you two filmmakers. I wanted to ask you also a basic question, Thomas, which is your first awareness. You're the same age as me. You're 46 years old, I believe. Mm-hmm. You, you, what your first awareness of of Werner Herzog was as a filmmaker, the first time you saw a, a VHS of one of his films or went to the cinema or, or how you first came came about this, this auteur? First encounter was coincidence, when I was, I must have been like 13 or 14 and I happened to watch TV at night because the most interesting films, as you know, come at night. <laughs> and it turned out uh, to be Agire, The Wrath of God. Of course, I was hoping for something else, but it was Agire <laughs> and it totally shocked me in a good and in a bad way. First, I thought that this must be a mistake this can't be serious. I've I've never seen anything like that before. This kind of documentary from the, what is it, uh, 16th century. Mm-hmm. And of course, Klaus Kinski. And, but then it stuck with me. I, I was so fascinated by the film and the way it was acted, the way it was shot, that I followed Werner's work ever since. And then I think the, the second encounter was even more important. I read his his journal, Walking in Ice. And of course, as a writer, and I already wrote at that time as a teenager, it was, it was unlike anything I've read before. It had uh, so much verbal beauty in it and the thoughts and just the plot itself, which wasn't, of course, invented, as you know, that Werner walked from Munich to Paris on foot to save save his mentor's life. That was so unbelievable and so far out that it also stuck with me, with me. And ever since I'm... I wouldn't say I'm a I'm I was a fan of of Werner's work, but I was deeply fascinated and endlessly inspired by everything he did. It's really interesting, and you go into detail in your film, uh, Thomas, about the making of Aguirre Wrath of God. Joshua Oppenheimer, who's one of your 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 interviewees in the film, talking heads in the film, and you have a number of wonderful ones, Christian Bale, Nicole Kidman, wonderful, wonderful filmmakers and actors. But he's very interesting on that, about the fact that this is a that film opens in the sort of Peruvian Alps, for want of a better word, yeah. And we see this image that we've imagined in our heads, we've we've seen in our dreams a hundred times. But he's actually created that thing, and other filmmakers chip in and say, "I don't even know how he made that film, especially for the budget." And I wondered, there seems to be a ritualistic sense, a sort of sense of the sacramental in Werner Herzog's working processes and that bore itself out in walking from Munich to Paris to save the life of of Lotte Eisner as as you say and I wondered if you had any thoughts about the about ritual in the the filmmaking process because he does a lot of things that other people don't do and perhaps he doesn't have to do in order to get the shot the ship going across the mountain in Fitzcarraldo obviously perhaps most memorably but what about ritual in Werner Herzog yeah you know the the funny thing is I don't know how he would respond to that question there was a young filmmaker in Lanzarote she's in the film and she said Werner always taught us do the doable 
And I first I misunderstood her and I mm. thought she said do the undoable <laughs> because of course everything that Werner does is so is something you wouldn't believe that that's possible like dragging a ship over a mountain that's like realizing a dream or something there was one difficulty after the other lack of money technical problems. We had two plane crashes. But in the end, he's, he's a very practical person. And that struck me because, of course, you can have dreams, but what's the use of having dreams as an artist if you can't put them into a film or, or a book? And so he's he's also a very pragmatic person. I think that that was something that uh, that was actually new to me when I did this film because I always thought, okay, he's the great visionary and has all these dreams. And of course, that's true, but that's only one side of the story. I think. Yeah, I guess he's <laughs> he's a sort of mythical and very very hands on and practical practitioner I suppose in equal measure perhaps I wanted to talk a little bit about how your film looks and the structure of your film mm -hmm. Thomas you go out and about with Werner and his wife in the Bavarian countryside where he was refugeed to during the second world war when there was the bombing of Munich yeah. my father did not uh, live with us he left the family fairly soon after my birth and uh, I'm glad that I didn't grow up with a father, with a <laughs> commander-in-chief somehow. It was uh, anarchy in the best sense. No rules, we, we set our own rules. And then you have talking heads and you have interviews with these, these film luminaries. And then... You, you, we, we obviously see a lot of the, the parts of the films themselves. But the places where you are with Werner himself are particularly interesting. He takes you to a, a waterfall in some woodland in the Bavarian countryside. And he sort of says, this is my imagination. This is my inner self. This is the embodiment. This is me. Yeah. And you cut to lots of waterfalls and, and cascades of water throughout the film. And obviously there's a lot of mountains in his documentary films and in his fictional and his feature films as well. What about that? Was that something that, was that a fresh perspective that he'd given you? I hadn't seen him talk about these mountains, despite the fact that they pop up in lots of his films and these waterfalls and things. Was that a fresh realization that he gave to you for this film? Mm, yeah, I always had the feeling or the sense that the landscape or the area where he grew up, it's actually the same area where I grew up. <laughs> mm -hmm. for coincidence but this landscape was really important to him and also the village where he grew up Sachrang in the in the mountains but I never thought that he returned there on a regular basis like every time he comes back to Germany every year he he goes there I didn't know that and that was something that turned out during the first conversation we had in person then in in, in Munich after our Skype call he just mentioned like, okay, and uh, like tomorrow I'm going to Sachrang. And I, I thought, uh, unbelievable. I wouldn't have thought that. Um, how about 
you going with us to Sahrang when we start the film. It was interesting to see that he got really into it because, of course, at the very beginning, I was very cautious because I didn't know what was okay with him and how much of himself he wanted to show. And that came as a surprise that he was totally enthusiastic about going back to Sachang with us and showing us where he grew up. And of course I knew, and that's actually after the waterfall scene, that's, that's my favorite scene in the film, the ski jumpers. I knew that he wanted to become a ski jumper as a teenager so I asked the people there if there was like a, a training or a tournament and um, it turned out there was and we were lucky enough to to go there. And also I, I didn't know how Werner would react, but he he loved it so much. He, he didn't want to leave. It was funny to see because Lena, his wife, I think he, she, she got really cold and, and then went to the car, but he still stood there like for two hours and, and couldn't stop watching the, the little ski jumpers. And that was really touching because that came unexpected. I mean, normally you have this image of him as this, as he says in the film, you don't really know what to do with him. And before my very first talk with him, I was also kind of scared because, there were, of course, you, you know, there are rumors that he's not the nicest person to work with and also... Sometimes uh, I think there's a reason why he worked together with Kinski because there's one side of him might be like the one of Kinski, of Kinski's side. And it's not really true, I think, because when he returns to Sachrang, uh, you see what, what gentle soul he is. Yes, it's a very tender. Yeah, tender. That's the word. Moment exactly. in, the, in exactly. the film. That, that, was, that was really touching. This old man, mm. I mean, he's 80. So I'm allowed to say this, this old man being so tender returning there. That was, that was really touching. No, it was a really, it's a lovely tender moment that you, you, you make in the, or you capture in, in the film, Thomas. But it's interesting you mentioned that sort of dichotomy that Werner might have or people felt he maybe had have because of his work with, with Klaus Kinski, mm. um, who, was a, who was a brilliant actor who was sort of becoming even more he played up to his cliche of being this irascible kind of savage genius on screen but became exactly that during most of the films that he worked with with Werner Herzog which are Aguirre Wrath of God which we've talked about which are Fitzcarraldo and then later Cobra Verde and there's a wonderful <laughs> anecdote that you have and I believe it's an anecdote from the from the early 1980s during the filming of Fitzcarraldo where he says there were rumors that I directed Kinski with a with a gun behind the with yeah. a gun behind the camera, but that's absolutely not true. I just told him that I had a gun behind the camera and I'd shoot him dead. Yeah. <laughs> so the, he plays up to the thing uh, well enough, even at the time of shooting, and obviously at the time of reminiscence in your film. So he's aware of his reputation very much, it seems. Yeah, I think so, and he he laughs in a way to fulfill the cliche. I think, mm. but in a very playful way. I think sometimes people make the mistake and take him very seriously. And uh, when he says something like that, like I directed Kinski with a gun and uh, stuff like that, um, some people are just in awe or shocked. But also you, you shouldn't forget that he comes from Bavaria and a lot of things Bavarians say is tongue in cheek. 
while keeping a, a, a straight face. And I yes. always uh, recognize that maybe because I'm also Bavarian, uh, this, this kind of tongue in cheek and um, testing how far you can go until someone is is shocked or says, okay, that's, I, I don't believe you. And then at, at that point, normally in Bavaria, you, you will start laughing, but most people take him too seriously, I think. That was the director of Werner Herzog, radical dreamer, Thomas von Steinecker. And now I was delighted to talk to Herbert Golder. Herbert collaborated with Herzog on the 2009 film My Son, My Son, What Have Ye Done? The experience of making this movie is captured in Herbert's own film Ballad of a Righteous Merchant. It's a loving and forensic look at how Herzog works. I began by asking Herbert if he knew in which direction the film would go when he started it. It just had occurred to me that I've been working with Werner in different capacities for a couple of decades and other than keeping diaries and, and notebooks, I'd never recorded any of our work together. And I decided this time I'd bring a camera along and maybe I would shoot something. But I didn't know if Werner would allow it because he doesn't generally allow people on set recording what he's doing. And so the first day of shooting, I took out my little camera. I'd even told Werner I brought it because we were preoccupied with the script uh, right up until till the... We started production. We were rewriting and changing things. So we really didn't have a chance to even discuss it. And um, I took out the camera and I started shooting and I saw that he saw me out of the corner of his eye and I half expected him to say, put the camera away. But he didn't. And and I, he watched me for a second and I could see that there was some kind of tacit acceptance there, that he trusted me to somehow document what he was doing. And I felt strongly that this was part of his legacy and that I had almost an obligation given the relationship that I had with him and the trust that existed between us to document it. But I didn't know what shape I had to, since I wasn't there to make that film, but I was there to work with Werner mm -hmm. on the making of the feature film, which involved me in lots of other responsibilities and duties. Mm -hmm. I wasn't always in the best position to get the shots I wanted, which I would have been if I had gone there to make a documentary. So I shot literally from the hip. I caught what I could, and I thought, I'll find some way to put this together later. And I came back with about 13 hours of material, most of which was garbage, and most of which the audio was utterly inaudible. I put something together. I showed it to Werner after some a time, and he said to me, basically, Herb, he said, I was there, and even I don't know what's going on told me to forget about it and just consign it to the family album. Well, it's to all of our benefit that uh, it's reached streaming services across the web and across the world. Yeah, well, what happened was I knew everything that he was he, that was wrong with it. And I said, I said, let me fix it. And I took another year or two. I wrote an audio. I wrote a commentary, a voiceover commentary. Mm -hmm. I completely recut the film. I worked tirelessly on the audio, music with sound engineers and sound designers. And then I showed him the film later and he said, Herb, you made a film. Your film, The Ballad of a Righteous Merchant, is about a filmmaker who's also a man of destiny. Now, that's often been said of Werner Herzog and, of course, 
of the characters in his films. But right at the ballad of your film, The Ballad of a Righteous Merchant, you're set up as a professor of classics and a practitioner of martial arts, Herb. Do these two facets of your character, these two realms of expertise that you possess, do they help you to work with and understand the world of Werner Herzog, this classicism and also being able to hold your own in a fight, I wonder? I think so. You know, Werner always says one of the requirements for being a filmmaker is to walk on foot, to read a lot, to be able to pick locks and maybe have worked as a bouncer in a strip club. And Werner has always maintained that film must be physical. A piece I wrote about Werner, I, uh, as one section of an essay, is called Knees and Thighs. So, so I, I think having a certain amount of physical courage and physical presence and physical tenacity is important for being able to function optimally in Werner's world. Because he himself is a man of absolute fearlessness. Well, we see this at the beginning of your film. We see a lot of images of you and Werner working together in some pretty inhospitable places around the world. Obviously, Werner's locations are infamous. Tell me about how that works. I mean, do you have to sign your life away when you go into a Werner Herzog production? Does it feel like that? How does it really work? Even though it may appear that there's a lot of risk-taking, there really isn't. And Werner would never ask anybody in his crew to do anything that he wouldn't do himself, which, which of course, is saying a lot because there's a lot that Werner would do. But everybody has the opportunity to, to walk away and back out. And really, uh, I would say safety and concern for the, you know, the well-being of everybody is always a paramount concern. So... No. And I myself, any risk I took, it was a risk I was willing to take. I felt that I was doing something that mattered to the soul of man. And when you feel you're doing that kind of work, you're willing to take certain kinds of risks. That is the kind of undertaking I think you make there. I wanted to draw our listeners' attention to a key part of your film, and indeed the new Radical Dreamer film as well. And that is Herzog's facility that he has for directing a film with his whole body, that he's both absolutely part of the action but allowing the action to take place it's quite a subtle ballet dance for a big man like him now that feels like something that's been part of his authorial presence on set since you started working with him maybe you can tell us about how how that works in practice herb well the way he works as i say very very physical very very hands-on the fact that he often does his own slate as he says he wants to be the last person between the lens and the actor so that he can almost feel with an animal instinct when the actor is ready. The way he works with Peter Zeitlinger, his cinematographer, they're, they're almost like figure skaters, with mm-hmm. Werner having his hand around Peter's waist as they move through a scene physically together, with Werner guiding Peter, Peter holding the camera, knowing where to point it, Werner moving Peter physically, Peter who himself is a former hockey player and very physical. So... Uh, to me, that's an integral part of Werner's filmmaking. He's not an armchair filmmaker or armchair director. He's very, very engaged. And you, I think you can see that in my film, even in the small little details and the adjusting Michael uh, Shannon's hair. It's tenderness, but it's also a tremendous sense of the presence of the director physically. 
I felt this from watching your film, Herb, that there's a sense of Herzog having a sort of a sense of ownership of the actors, of the scene, of the story. Perhaps that's a paternalistic thing at its best, that the thing looks like ownership. But it's also a thing of generosity. In your film, the way he is with Chloe Sevigny and with Michael Shannon and with the various actors that he works with, it's not proprietorial so much as paternalistic. Is there is there any sense in that? Yeah, absolutely makes a lot of sense. I think actors respond to Werner the way they do, not just in cinema, but in opera, where I've also spent time with him, uh, because mm. of the extent to which he invests himself in everything he's doing. There's a kind of life seriousness about his. It's never for him just a job or just a shoot or just a project. He is totally invested body and soul. As he often says, he doesn't choose the stories, they choose him. And I think actors appreciate that. And that's why he's able to elicit sometimes extraordinary performances from non-professionals. They sense the extent to which he's engaged and they respond in kind. Yes. I mean, that's something that comes across from the Radical Dreamer film as well. And these things tally completely with some of the themes that come out of that. One thing that's at the beginning and at the end of your film, Herb, which is also drawn out in Radical Dreamer, is this kind of central motif of the waterfall. In Radical Dreamer, Herzog goes to the Bavarian Alps, the Bavarian countryside, and he finds the the wellspring, almost, of his being, as he calls it, and it's a waterfall. And you capture that. There's a shot at the beginning of the film where you're both struggling across a rock in a river, and it looks like Michelangelo's creation of Adam, you know, with touching fingers and things, which is the kind of lovely directorial sleight of hand on your behalf, if I may. Um, But tell me about the waterfall, Herb. Was that something you always wanted to incorporate uh, in your film as well? I hadn't always thought of it in terms of a waterfall, but for instance, in in the in the feature film, my son, my son, what have you done? We had a mm. we had a very important scene which we originally wrote for the the Karakoram Mountains and the the Indus River roaring out of the mountains, which we ended up transposing to uh, the Urubamba in Peru, and and I think. Uh, you know, again, it's not because I work with Werner the way I do. It's not something we self-consciously talk about or articulate. It's just that that metaphor, that image is somehow very powerfully present and needs to be in the film because it's the river of destiny. No more needs to be said about it. It is also as elemental as much of the landscape and kind of soulscape and dreamscape, I suppose, of so many of the image. Uh, images that Herzog's made. The inner life manifesting itself in the landscape, the landscape dreaming itself, and it's, it's inner, the gushing forth of its inner life. And so it just somehow is an inevitable part of the, the vision and the story. Through the, the lens of his eye, he reveals the inner daimon of the place, the spirit of a place, in a way that nobody has quite perceived it or understood it before. You know, somebody wants to find genius in those terms, that, that it, it's sort of the, the ability to apprehend something in a way that no one else has ever apprehended it before. And, and Werner's films and his vision is somehow infused with that, that magical quality to elicit what is there. And that's why we respond to it, because there's a truth, there's a deep truth to it. It's not something fabricated or something imposed or something adventitious. It somehow comes out of the landscape itself, but it took a Werner Herzog to elicit it and make it real.
And that is all for this week. My thanks to Herbert Golder there and, of course, to Thomas von Steinecker. And Werner Herzog, Radical Dreamer, is out in cinemas now. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu. And Steph also edits the programme. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in.